but it's something that we see way too often that units are just crashing and burning and everybody's like, well, this is just the way it is now. <laughs> just gotta live with it. Hey there, my name's Ashley Church. And I'm Erin West. We were once newly promoted crime scene and latent print supervisors on mutual struggle buses as we both simultaneously tried to navigate through the challenges within our forensic units. Now we run a business where we create tools and resources that we wish we had had to make these transitions easier. We like to talk about the experiences we've had in the forensic field, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the hopes to create awareness around these issues and move the needle forward to create positive change in the forensic community. So if you're a forensic professional, regardless of your years of experience, who's not afraid to dive into real, raw, and sometimes uncomfortable topics, you're in the right place. This is the Forensics Unfiltered Podcast. Hi, guys. My hubby's watching. Hi. Oh, hey, Jason. <laughs> He's like, oh, God, I'm logging off. <laughs> <laughs> they said my name. Oh, God. They've seen me. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're back, and we're going to be talking about common bottlenecks that we see in forensic units, at least through our experiences. Although this may not sound taboo, I think like some of the reasons why we have bottlenecks in the first place, I think a lot of times like leadership don't want to let certain things go. They want to have control over certain processes and, uh, you know, that can lead to inefficiencies. Sometimes we're afraid to implement new technology or sometimes it's just too expensive. So I thought the first one we could bring up is definitely like the tech and admin review process. It, especially if you're accredited or like you're heading towards accreditation, um, that is something you have to implement anyway. But I have seen units where they insist that it all has to filter through the supervisor or assistant supervisor. And what I've seen that do is like, number one, if they all have to filter through the supervisor, that's all they're gonna be doing. So all of the other like tasks that could help move the unit forward, like writing SOPs, um, you know, writing schedules, uh, conflict resolution, like yada, yada, yada. They're not able to do that because they're all like constantly reviewing reports. Yeah, we've definitely seen that happen where the supervisor is doing all of the admin reviews. And as a result of that, it takes a very long time for people to get their casework back because yeah, I know that for me, sometimes I'd sit, like I would have submitted a report and it has been months and it's still sitting on someone's desk to be reviewed. Yeah. And I also think if that is a primary function of yours to just sit and read reports all day long, how good are you at really doing that when you're 30th report? You're not like all of our eyes glaze over we're not catching mistakes and important details anymore at that point. And I think making that a requirement that the supervisor touches every single case, it's almost, almost a micromanager-y kind of thing. Almost. It certainly is. <laughs> if you don't trust your people. <laughs> I think that would probably rub some of you guys the wrong way. 
but the supervisor does not have to have eyes on every single report that's coming out of the unit if the unit is trained to do their work appropriately and to check each other's work appropriately. If they are well-trained and they know what the contents of the report are supposed to be and they understand that by signing their name on it, they are just as liable as the other individual for anything that leaves the unit that is incorrect or inaccurate, then the technicians, the scientists that are doing the job can review each other's work. The supervisor does not have to review every single report that's coming through the unit. So that's definitely something I've seen at one of the agencies I've worked at and whenever I was supervisor and when you were supervisor, um, that's definitely a task that we delegated to our technicians. And honestly, they were more brutal on each other than I would have been in a technical and an admin review. And I think it's also good for them to see because especially in the latent print world, but the crime scene world too, it's a lot of independent work unless you're working a major case. So it's nice to see how everyone is doing their, you know, things together. And also it kind of creates uniformity in and of itself. Whereas like, if you never see anyone else's reports, you have no awareness of how anyone else is doing their stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. So we, we don't do that. We've never done that. So we rotate. It's not to say that the supervisor won't do tech and admin reviews. They totally do. But the supervisor does not do all administrative reviews. It's equally rotated around between all the technicians are trained in it on how to do technical reviews, how to do administrative reviews, and they pass the they pass the duties around. Everybody shares the duties equally. Right. If they're trained to be a tech reviewer or an admin reviewer, they do not have to be a supervisor to do that function. It just creates a really huge bottleneck and it like it can get very significant because also like just as a normal human being, maybe this is different for someone that like works in a freaking newspaper or something and they do this all day, but like you get readers fatigue, like you said, your eyes start glazing over and like you just, you're at capacity. You can't review anything else. You don't yeah. want to keep sitting at your desk all day. That's what ends up happening if that's the system you have in place. Yeah. I think a way more valuable use of your time as a supervisor is if you really want to check on the work product of your unit, do audits, you know, do regular audits, do random audits, pull their casework, pull their reports, and you're checking not only the original technician's work, but you're also checking that the tech reviewer is catching things. And I think that is a way more impactful use of our time to do audits than to read every single report that's coming through. And there's other stuff you got to keep, you know, keep doing to keep the wheels turning. And like, you're basically going to be at a standstill if that's all you're going to be doing. So, so how do you go about getting the techs to do it? I um, mean, you could put it as part of their job duties once they get trained. And that's just, I mean, we never had anyone fight, like, I'm not going to do this. Um, there was a little bit of like conflict if some people got more reports to review than someone else. So as a supervisor, you can kind of maintain that and make sure everyone gets an equal amount to review. I think the biggest issue we had is the people that are super, super, super nitpicky. 
the people that are crazy nitpicky on reports, they stress everybody else out because every time they give their stuff to them, it's like covered in red pen. But we try to reiterate to the unit that those people are very important and very valuable because we want to catch everything internally before it leaves the building. So nothing taps my ass more than like reading your reports from a couple years ago and going to court and you just like see all of these errors and you're like, damn it, someone was supposed to review this. Yeah, some of you guys will probably be there, but we're having a symposium next week and it's already done. Everybody's already registered. We have one person reach out for the flyer today. I can't tell you how many people have looked at this flyer, right? I, I attached the flyer and there was a spelling error in it. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> no one told me. That is, that is Tech and Admin Reviews. But we, we train them. Tech and Admin Review is part of their training program. They come out of the training program knowing that that's an expectation, that that's something that they have to do as part of their job. Um, they're all trained how to do it and signed off on doing it. And then for us, we don't like, we don't rotate texts or anything like that. Like it's your week to do reviews. We did use to do good if you like if that's yeah. what you want to do, but we used to do that with admin reviews. With tech reviews, you just kind of like look around the room and see who's got kind of a smaller pile and you, you, you know, put it in their pile. But admin reviews, we did used to rotate like once a month, you would get you know, you would take a chunk of admin reviews and do a bunch of admin reviews for that month. So, I mean, you could set up rotations if, if you want to do that, but we try to just be like conscious of who's got a lot on their plate and giving it to someone else while they're, you know, while someone else's workload is, is heavy. And that hasn't really been a problem for us thus far and we've done it that way for a couple of years but that's not to say you know that every unit's different that's right. yeah. if you gotta assign it then you gotta assign it you know yeah. and yes there is a checklist that they use and you can draft it based off of you know your own agency and what you want them to make sure that they check against because you know there's gonna be databases where they have to upload their photos. They have to make sure that they did all of these forms correctly. They have to make sure all the evidence is in. So like all of that shit is on the checklist as they're going down. So it should make it pretty easy and streamlines and the initial, yes, I checked this, it's good to go. Yeah, we have checklists for um, crime scene and for latents and they're, they are basically checking on both sides. They're checking all of that, that all of the, you know, images were loaded in that, I mean, essentially, they're going through the report and making sure that all of the data that you have backs up the conclusions that you reached, essentially, on both sides. So forensics, they're going to check all of your notes, your measurements, your data, your photographs to confirm that the report is backed up by the data you collected on scene. And latents is the same. You know, they're going to check your report and look at all of the latents and all the conclusions and everything to confirm that the conclusions you made were backed up by the are supported by the data that you had. So as far as bottlenecks go, especially if you are the supervisor, you need to let that responsibility go. You need to have a little bit more trust in your people, get them trained on how to do it, make them a checklist and delegate that responsibility out. I guarantee you through our, at least through our experience, um, it's going to significantly reduce what's on your plate so you can get to the more important tasks 
And like I mentioned before, like, you know, the, the people that are doing the tech and admin reviews, they're actually like, from our experience, they're very good. They're not lazy. And it kind of keeps everyone else on their toes. So I think it's a good thing. One of the other things that I think is a huge bottleneck is like all of the different types of paperwork associated with the job. I think just going back to the last one, like a, a little comment that one of you guys made, like, how do you get them to do it? And if you're the supervisor, <laughs> like, how do you get them to do it? And so we talk, we talk about this a lot in our supervisor class, but for whatever reason, civilian supervisors, there is this expectation that you're going to continue doing the whole entire job that you did before and <laughs> manage to do all of your supervisory stuff. And you quite literally cannot. And if you think about these sworn people at your agency, they do not. They do not do that. They don't, they're not on the call schedule. They don't go out and take cases. They are literally supervisors. They supervise their unit. They uh, deal with all of the supervisory issues. And the civilians are expected to work and be a supervisor. And you can't. Something's got to give. And we will hear a lot of supervisors in our supervisor class say like, well, they won't respect me if, I, if I'm not on the call schedule. And they won't respect me if they don't know that I, I can process a piece of paper with Ninhydrin. And that is not true. Okay. <laughs> they, might be, they might be annoyed if you're like, guys, I have a lot of stuff on my plate and I need to take myself off the call schedule. But if they understand why you're doing it and like, I have all of these things that I'm trying to get organized for the unit. I'm trying to write policies. I'm trying to write grants so we can get more equipment. I'm trying to get us new people. That is more valuable to them. Now you have to actually do it. You can't just take yourself off the call schedule and, you know, take yourself off tech and admin reviews and take yourself off casework and then just be chilling because then that just annoys the whole team. But if you, if you're worried about like letting some of that stuff go, like, oh, they're going to give me pushback, like, you have other things that are your responsibility as a supervisor that are way more important to drive the unit forward that need to get done. And we neglect those things a lot of times because we're so focused on like these types of things. Like, well, yeah. somebody do all this. Well, they can do it. They're, they're perfectly capable. Yeah. Just try to do it. <laughs> yes. So, anyway, sorry, you were moving on to something. Is all the damn paperwork that's associated with all the shit that we do. Like, I can understand where some of these like forms and processing sheets and all these things got created. But what I found was I'm just like repeating the same freaking information like over and over and over and over again. And it's like, yeah, like, you know what I mean? And then um, that's more stuff that the tech and admin re reviewer have to check, right? And it's more room for error. I know some people are trying to implement like having their their crime scene techs like have iPads and then you know they literally can basically start generating their evidence lists and start generating pieces of their report like literally while they're on scene it's so much more efficient but yeah I've seen like for instance just like with crime scene stuff so you go out and you collect evidence in at the crime scene and you have to write that down in your notebook right and then you come back and you have to write the same thing on an evidence tag for those of you that don't have digital systems with barcodes and it prints it out for you. You have to like hand write that shit 
And then the same agency, we were handwriting the evidence sheets. Luckily, they switched to like typing them out. But again, you're still like recreating the same information over again. And then you have to go and enter that in a report. So you're writing the same evidence description four freaking times before you're done. I don't know. It drives me nuts. <laughs> I think there's ways that we can ensure things are documented and be more efficient. Yeah, we've definitely gone through reports and been like, okay, we duplicate this thing three times. Like, how can we cut it down so that we're just writing it one time? And there's a lot of stuff like that that you could do where you're cutting down the forms. Or like, if you have, like she was saying, if you have something that you're writing down four times, as long as you have it in this one location, is that enough? Like, do you have to write it and write it and write it and write it? There's a lot of different ways that you you can go about resolving that. We did actually just demo a couple weeks ago something like Ashley was talking about where it was iPads. It was a software system on iPads where they went out and on scene, they were documenting like date and time of collection, location of collection. It shared like all the CSIs could see everything that was going on on a case at the same time. And then it started auto-populating their report. So as they were entering, you know, what they were collecting, their measurements, all of that, by the time they got back to the office, everything that they had done on scene was already pushed into a report format. And um, you can have it, like, print the barcodes for you. Like, <laughs> they're just there when you're yeah, at the office, right? The mobile um, label printer that it, it will, you type in that information, it prints the label That's printer. Awesome. And like we, we talked about if we instituted something like that, I think it would take us a little bit longer on scene because we would have to be really, really particular about like every single lift we're collecting, you know, on scene where it's coming from all of that. But to not even have to, to not have to write a report when you get back besides maybe like a narrative section, you know, to have already all of your contents already created. There's a lot of cool stuff out there that's. And the sad part is that technology is not new. It's been around for yeah. a long time. And for whatever reason, like I know cost is obviously one thing, but like, I also know that people are so damn resistant. They're just so comfortable. Like I like writing stuff on a carbon copy. Like, Oh, like I mean, we literally last year, we just went fully paperless in. So our laden print unit still had like, you know, massive paper files and we were printing out all of our charts and, you know, reports and worksheets and all this stuff. And then, and then we had these huge spaces where we were keeping all these filing cabinets with all this stuff and we went fully paperless. So our, our late print unit is fully digital and fully paperless, which I know gives people heartburn. They're like, how do you do that? How are they fully digital? How are you not, um, you know, looking at everything under a magnifier? So I know that gives everyone pains, but I mean, COVID hit, they could work from home, like we're not killing trees in there anymore, like everything is, and even like the new APHIS system that's coming out, if you guys have seen it, is going to be on the cloud, and they can literally run prints from any laptop anywhere in the United States, like, I mean, technology is moving forward, like people got to keep up with it, you know, there's all kinds of crazy things happening that can make your unit more efficient. And as far as like authenticating the evidence tags, 
even if it's digital, what um, our state labs have been doing for years is they will print out their barcode, stick it on the bag, and write their initials like on the sticker and on the bag. So you can write your initials, you can write your ID number, and you can still authenticate it. And same thing with the evidence seals. We're not telling you to stop doing that, but the actual like writing of the evidence description and the case number and everything, all of that could be digital. There is no reason that you have to be like, well, it has to be in my handwriting for me to authenticate it. That's where your initials and your ID on the seal come in. On this kind of the same topic, oh, I've seen a couple of ways agencies do this and it's usually hand jamming and it's caused a lot of like errors, significant errors and affects a lot of cases is how you get your evidence numbers. One agency I worked for where you got tag numbers. So every, let's just say every evidence sheet has its own tag number. And then you write your evidence numbers under that. So we've had issues where people like, you know, are probably tired. It's 2 a.m. They go and grab a tag number off of this clipboard, you know, and they like inverted two numbers or like skipped a number or something. And it caused all of the cases down below. If someone didn't catch that error, it caused all of the cases down below to be wrong. And then you have to usually after you've already written a report, go back and correct everything. Um, and then the same thing with the agency you're at now, you can tell that. No, you know, literally cool. So, okay. I've worked for a couple different agencies. So my favorite, my favorite one ever we we each just used our own initials. It was super, super simple. So if I was collecting stuff on scene, all of my items were EW1 through whatever, right? And all of Ashley's items were AC1 through whatever. So when I was going to testify and I pulled all the property receipts for that case, as a lead, I knew exactly who collected every single item on scene because it was just their initials. It was just their initials and they could label it. They could number it in any order that they wanted to. So the agency that I work for now, they like everything to be labeled one through 800. And they're <laughs> and particular so, on what number can be yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, what can be number one. And so the way that they do that is, um, and I had to learn this the hard way, like our forensic team, when they're collecting stuff out on scene, they are not allowed to assign anything an item number. So they have to wait until they bring it back to the office and it gets turned into evidence and then evidence will assign it an item number. Now, if they want to get real fancy with it, sometimes they can do a little research in the system to see what other, what item numbers have <coughs> So like they can look and be like, okay, well, this case already has one through 26. So I'm going to start at 27. I made this mistake once I looked in there. I was like, okay, there's 26 items. I'm going to start at number 27. And so I labeled all of my stuff 27 through whatever, 72. And I turned my stuff in and somebody had already taken 27. And so of course, for me, logically, I think they're just going to strike out 26 and make that one 73 and then just keep all the rest. Nope. They changed every single item number. And so sometimes even they would change it without telling you. Oh, I, I had to go back and change the whole report because instead of just changing one item number, they shifted them all down mm -hmm. so that they would all be 
in order because they also like to file all the property receipts away so that everything's in sequential order. So like, for example, one of my technicians turned in a chain of custody once that had like a number 42 and a number whatever, 78 on the same property receipt. Honestly, it's not an issue. It's not an issue. But they kicked it back to her and they made her put it on two separate property receipts so that they could keep them in numerical order, which is which is legitimately just somebody's OCD. <laughs> yeah. It drives it drives me nuts. And again, if you have like a digital system like Aaron's talking about where you're literally like generating the evidence in the system while you're on scene, it will generate the number for for you. So you don't have that significant bottleneck. And it it drove me nuts. Like <laughs> I just yeah. I can't. It just um, at least from the forensic side, it just isn't logical to me. Cause even like things like search warrants, you know, we're leaving behind copies of the property receipt um, with the search warrant to show what we collected at that search warrant. But we leave the item number blank. We just leave it empty. So I always feel like like we're leaving an incomplete chain of custody here along with the search warrant to let them know what we took when really there isn't any reason why we can't assign it an item number on scene. Like, why does it have to be in order like that? <laughs> that to me is just, that's something that's always bugged me. So um, again, I feel like this is a moment where technology could be on your side. If people were just not so damn resistant to it, I feel like those errors would be significantly less once you get to learn the program and it just assigns the damn numbers for you. And there's, you know, you can move on with your freaking day. But yeah. that's just my opinion. <laughs> Great. <laughs> what else you got on your list, Ashley? This is <laughs> Those are the two big ones. So I don't, I know, you know, you may have think, think of things in the latent print world. So I think there's tons and tons of little things you guys can look at within your unit. Like you have one piece of equipment that everybody has to use. So people are, it, it's becoming like. You need another piece of equipment. Yeah, another piece of equipment or whatever, you know, there's yeah. a lot of that we do within our departments that is halting the productivity of work. But one of the things that we we were talking about this week and that I think is something that comes up in units a lot is it's not really just a lack of personnel. Like we, Ashley and I were talking about this earlier this week, like being short people is a problem everywhere. You know, everybody has not enough employees for all the work that they have to do. But that being the case, some of you may not be able to get more employees. Like what you have is what you're going to have for the next couple of years. And, and you got to make do. <laughs> right. If that is the case, what you can't do is keep continuing to do everything for everyone forever because you can't, you just literally can't. And so what we see with a lot of units is they just start running everybody into the ground like in some people on like some of the forensic groups that are like we work every single thing like a homicide yeah and the reality is it's not that we don't care about a case it's that you are creating a significant bottleneck where you will you will be drowning your people and they'll yeah. they'll leave yeah there's only there's only so much you can do and if your resources are limited 
then you have to restrict your capabilities until you have more resources. That's just kind of the bottom line. And we so, see state labs do that too. Like there were, there were points that our state labs were backlogged and they were short personnel. And so they got more strict on their acceptance policies. So I think it got down for like nonviolent cases. They would only accept like one swab for DNA. Um, and, it, and it couldn't be like touch DNA. Like it had to be, you know, saliva or blood. Um, so they would start reducing the amount of work that's coming in um, so they can kind of limit that that bottleneck. And I don't think, like you mentioned, that forensic units like CSI units and latent print units see that as an option as much. Yeah, I totally agree. But we just recently had to have a discussion because we have increased our capabilities significantly this past year, which many of you guys have done. You've taken on additional tasks and additional projects, additional instrumentation and equipment and whatever, but we didn't get any more people. So as a result of adding on all those capabilities, we now have more work in the unit than we have people that can work it. And so I had to have a conversation with my staff about like, listen, something has to give here. So I, I essentially gave them the choice. I was like, we can do one of two things. We can go into a backlog, like me understanding that we don't have enough staff to work the amount of casework that we have. So we can actively enter a backlog. We can keep working everything the same way that we work it now and everything will just start stacking up, or we can be a lot more selective about what we are working, and so that way we can work more things, but maybe not work them as much as we would have worked them in the past. You know, be a lot more selective about the processes we're using and um, the type of things we're responding to, the type of cases that are coming into the, the lab to be worked versus what the officers can work, like that kind of thing. So we sat down, we had the discussion, I gave them the choice, I'm like, I'm good with either way, you tell me what you guys want to do, and I'll back that up. And they decided that they would prefer to work more cases and just be selective about the processes they're using on them versus just letting the backlog start to stack up. But I think some agencies... They go way past that point where they just, everybody's drowning. The Everyone's burnt out. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like, well, this is the way it is now. There's nothing we could do about it. We just got to keep going. Like, you, you can't keep going like that. You just can't. And if you, if you get your people burnt out to the point where they start to leave, it's only going to get worse, you know? Yeah. Then you have voids. Then yeah. how good is that, you know? Yeah. And your experience is out the door and now you have someone new to train. Yeah. on top of all of this backlog that you're creating. Yeah, yeah. So we literally had to have a conversation about like, listen, I know that it's stressful, but you're not going to hear from me complaints about your workload because I know that we have more work than we can finish. So you guys are just going to have to, you know, woo-saw with yourself to come to terms with the fact that you're just going to have <laughs> your desk and it's never going to go away and that's just the way it is right and i did tell them too you know obviously this amount of work is fabulous for us because i can use that to justify more people 
you know, if we're slammed with work, I can legitimately say like stat wise, we're drowning. We need more, we need more human beings. Um, and if we're not drowning, it's very hard to justify needing more people. So it, it does have good things that can come in the long run from it. But it's something that we see way too often that units are just crashing and burning. And everybody's like, well, this is just the way it is now. <laughs> just gotta live with it. Yeah. <laughs> People in that that aren't in the forensic unit are kind of completely unaware of how shitty things can really get, like as far as like backed up and like going call to call to call. And um, they kind of forget like, oh, they have like a homicide unit and a robbery unit and a property unit and they have all these detectives. It's like, yeah, but you have one forensic unit working for all of them. <laughs> like, So yeah. um, I think and if you have more conversations and make sure that they're aware and then also relay, like, try to explain this in a way they can understand. You're much better off with, like, getting them on board with what Aaron is suggesting, which is, like, you know, hey, we're going <laughs> to, we're, we're at a bottleneck here, and we have some choices to make, and, you know, let's go ahead and get that started, so... Yeah, we had to do it with both units. Like we were working in our Layton unit. We we also we worked all of the cases for our agency plus all of the cases for another agency just for free out of the goodness of our hearts. And we we had to stop it and it was yeah. it definitely pissed them off because they were using us as their resource for that, but we did not have the capacity to do that anymore. You know, and a lot of agencies are doing that. You know, they've spread themselves super thin and they're working stuff for themselves, plus other agencies going out and assisting on cases and calls for other agencies when you're drowning yourself. So you have to, I mean, at some point you have to have that hard conversation of like, we're just drowning here that we can't, we can't do all these things. Same thing with the crime scene unit. Like we had, a, we were at a point where we had like two people and we had to train four. So we yeah. cut back on like, we're not going to the property crime stuff anymore. We're not going to be going to like the natural deaths. We're not like, um, we really had to kind of rein in the, de the detectives like, hey, there has to be a reason you need us. And like you said, some people were pissed off at first, but like, this isn't uncommon. The state, watch, the state labs do it all the time if they're actually trying to reduce their backlog. Or yeah. they'll they'll outsource their work. So, like, you know, the DNA lab will outsource to DNA Labs International or Bodie. Um, so they understand, obviously, like, things have to keep chugging, chugging along, but you can't keep working at the capacity that you're working now because you don't have the staff. And they do it all the time. Yeah. I and I've been in forensics and law enforcement since 2006, and we use FDLE, Florida Department of Law Enforcement. They have changed their parameters so many times over the last 15 years. Like, yeah. they are constantly adjusting due to their staffing levels. Mm -hmm. So it's not... It, it's not that big of a deal. Like we, we make it such a big thing and, and our agencies do it too with, with other departments. I mean, with other departments, if they're, if they're low on the road with officers, they will adjust to accommodate what they need to, to spread out their manpower. Same thing for us, you know? Yeah. The thing that with what we're talking about now is like, you can always go back to doing more, once you get more staff, 
you yep. know, or your backlogs cut back. You can always go back to doing more, but if you're at capacity or past capacity of what you can handle, then that's when you have to start shaving stuff off like that. That's totally what we just did. We sat down and we, um, I mean, we've done it in both units. We've done it in latents and forensics. So forensics, we just recently sat down and we talked about a whole bunch of things like what can we cut that really won't impact the investigation? And there was a whole bunch of things that we decided to slice. So one of the things that we do is every single time we have a homicide, we run the feral. And it takes fucking forever. <laughs> okay? Every time. Like the last case, the last shooting we had, we ran the feral. It was like, I don't even know. It was like 35 scans. We were out there 17 hours, okay? So we absolutely would have used the pharaoh on that scene. Absolutely. But there's been scenes where the pharaoh was, it wasn't the best use of our time. So there were a lot of things like that where we were like, on these type of scenes, we can let the pharaoh go. On these types of scenes, we can let this go. On these types of scenes, we can let that go. And so our team was very, like, very black and white. Like, we have a homicide. We do these things every time yes and we really wanted them to get more more thoughtful about like why am i doing this is this pertinent to this investigation is this going to be beneficial for us so we did that in forensics we wrote up a whole list of things that we were going to chop down and then we did the same thing in latents we did not have time to work all of the casework that we had there's a lot of agencies out there that like i've worked for agencies that compare everybody, everybody and their mother, like compare the victim, the suspect, the brother, the child, like every single human, the person that called and reported it, they report, they compare everybody. We don't have time for that. So we literally compare the suspects on major crimes. We'll compare suspects and victims. And if a detective requests it, we'll compare victims. But now we compare suspects. That's what we have time to do. <laughs> Quite Literally. So we will run all prints through APHIS, like everything that we're going to compare, everything that's of quality we run. We'll compare any suspects that are listed, anyone that we hit on in APHIS. But if there's people in the database, you know, in our, our system, victims, whoever, their sister, whatever, we, we don't compare them. We don't have time for it. And that gives um, a lot of people heartburn when we say stuff like that. But we can choose to work all of our cases in a timely manner and be picking and choosing who we're comparing, or we choose to go into a backlog and work each case completely to its fullest, comparing everybody that's available, and yeah. then end up not touching some cases at all. So for our agency, we opted to, we'd rather touch all of them and at least be able to work some portion of those cases, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think the important takeaway for this is your bottlenecks are going to look different than the bottlenecks that we experienced, but it's super important to like put pen to paper and write those bottlenecks down, like how often they happen. Start building your case because when you are going to bring this issue up with your supervisor or with your chain of commands, you're going to need some type of evidence to back up your claim, right? And if you are a supervisor, like, start thinking of solutions. There are solutions for some of these things that won't 
have monetary costs, but you will have to make some adjustments and get people on board. So that's going to be the work that you that will be required of you. But, you know, try something. If you know the bottlenecks there, like don't let it just keep, you know, <laughs> clogging things up for years. I think that's what infuriates me most is like people know that they're there and they just ignore it or they refuse to do anything about it. And that's what just chaps, chaps me. Megan's comment here about she needs the blessing of her command to make any changes. I would suggest that maybe you don't. <laughs> From one supervisor to another supervisor. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I have definitely gotten advice. Like it's better to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. In some of those scenarios. And the thing is like some of the changes that we made to mitigate some of the bottlenecks, like we didn't run it through our chain of command. We just did it. All the changes that we just made, we literally sat down and were like, I sat down with all the girls and um, was like, okay, we're going to brain, we're going to sit here and brainstorm and come up with ideas to be more efficient. We wrote down all the ideas. I was like, okay, we're starting this today. And then literally like a week later when I had my weekly lieutenants meeting with our captain, um, I was like, just FYI, (laughs) we have pushed out all these things and this is how it will impact you guys. And, and we did actually have one of the lieutenants was felt a little spicy about it, but what, what are you going to say? Like, we don't have enough staff to do all the work that we're assigned. So like, what, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm the supervisor and I'm trying to figure out ways to make it work with what we got, so. And sometimes, you know, they won't even, like, really recognize the changes too much because they're not in your unit. And then you'll have, like, look at how much more efficient we are and we've reduced our backlog. And then they'll be like, just keep doing that thing. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because truly, in like, for your example, like, we're not allowed to, you know, I wasn't allowed to let processing casings go if you did let that go if you knew in your mind like we've done the research we've never gotten a print off a casing i'm just gonna let it go would they even notice like who would even notice? (laughs) like how long would it take for them to notice that you had stopped doing that type of thing so there's a lot of those kinds of things that we can do when we need to we're not saying just do it all the time we're saying when we need to cut things down and be more efficient we can do things for a temporary period of time to just make it better for the unit until we get up to full staffing level or the amount of equipment we need or whatever. People come out of training, all of that. So. All right, y'all. That's all we've got. Thanks so much for coming. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for being here and listening to Forensics Unfiltered. If you liked this episode, would you do us a favor and leave a review letting us know specifically what you liked about this topic? It will only take a minute, but it will really help us plan future episodes so we can bring you more topics that you want to listen to. We'll be sure to provide any links from today's episode in our show notes on our website. Head to www.gapscience.com. Until next time, stay safe out there.